Signed, sealed, and delivered. I like the picture there. September 29th, year 1770, was the day that George Whitefield preached his last sermon. I hope today's not my last sermon because I believe God has more work for me and you and I to do. Amen? Praise God. How many know who George Whitefield was? One person. He was, a <laughs> he was a very famous preacher before the American Civil War or American Revolutionary War. Uh, he was responsible in the main part for what's known as the Great Awakening in the United States. Actually, it was the colonies back at that time. Great revival broke out. Before the Great Awakening happened, there was ungodliness galore. You think it's bad now. It was bad back then. It really, I uh, read descriptions of uh, uh, what was going on, and it was really, really nasty. But God moved and began to save people by the bucket loads. And Praise God. So it was a very awesome time. Uh, in fact, George Whitefield, he was actually from England. He was so famous that on his way to preach his last sermon, the people knew that he'd be coming through their town they lined up and they asked him, please stop and preach to us, which he graciously did. He preached his last sermon the next day. He went to go to bed. People crowded into the house. He preached for two hours standing on the stairs holding a candle till the candle burned out. That's how much people were hungry for God back then. I hope and pray that people would hungry for God here in this day and age. Can you say amen? amen? Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to preach and to speak your word. Let my words that come forth, God, be your words, God, to uplift and to help and to edify the hearers in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 200 years after George Whitefield's Last sermon in the year 1970, Stevie Wonder released an album called Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. On the picture of the albums, there's Stevie Wonder in a big box. On the box, it says, Fragile, Handle with Care, Do Not Drop, and From Detroit with Love. <laughs> the 12 songs on the album. Never Had a Dream Come True, that's a sad song. We Can Work It Out by the Beatles. Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I Am Yours. Heaven Help Us All, that's a good title. Can you say amen? You Can't Judge a Book by Its Cover, Sugar. Don't Wonder Why, Anything You Want Me to Do, that's a catchy title. God, Anything You Want Me to Do, Speak to Me. Can you say amen? The next song is called, I Can't Let My Heaven Walk Away. There's a, a, one of the verses I picked out. I believe God picked it out for me for this sermon is from Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, and it says, How shall we be saved if we neglect such a great salvation? So don't let my heaven walk away. How many know heaven doesn't let us down? <laughs> We're the ones who have the problem. Can you say amen? But thank God we have a solution and his name is Jesus. He's alive forevermore. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Glory to God. The next song is Joy Takes Over Me. I like that one. We need some joy. Can you say amen? The last two songs is I Gotta Have a Song and Something to Say. I hope this morning I have something to say that will help you grow closer to God. Amen. 
So the words of the song, like a fool I went and stayed too long. Now I'm wondering if your love's still strong. Ooh, baby, here I am, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours, yeah. And then he goes on, he says, then that time I went and said goodbye, and now I'm back and not ashamed to cry. And so she took him back, bless her heart, <laughs> he's ashamed to cry, or not ashamed to cry. Then he goes on to confess, I've done a lot of foolish things that I really didn't mean. <laughs> Isn't that a funny excuse? Most of us say, oh yeah, I, did. I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. And you say, man, I remember uh, one of my brothers, I come from a big family, and, and uh, somebody did something, one of the other brothers, oh, I didn't mean it, I mean it. Yes, you did. You did so. Don't lie. And then he goes on to say, you set my soul on fire. We need Jesus to set our souls on fire. Can you say amen? And then we know that Jesus would be our only one desire. goes on to say, I could be a broken man. Well, that's good. Because in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 5, it says, We need to be saved. Psalm 51, verse 17 goes on. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Then there's a dash at the end of it, if you look it up in your Bible. That means that whoever was writing it broke down weeping. A broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. The whole point of all that is that we need God. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. We cannot make it on our own. Without Jesus, we are totally lost. Hallelujah. But there's good news. And here we have the beginning. Luke's Gospel. Now, they were in the same country. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. In the same country... What he means is the same area around Bethlehem. Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. They're on the job working. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. I've heard stories of people that have seen angels, and it's like, oh, yeah, it was a, you know, no big deal. These guys saw an angel and they were scared. One of the interesting comments that I read about this is that God does not give us insight into the spiritual world because it would destroy us. So we wouldn't be able to handle it. Occasionally, people get glimpses of the spiritual world, glimpses and visions. And that's to empower you and I to go on and live for God and, 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 and have something to share and to be totally and firmly convinced that God is real, that God loves us, that God's got power unimaginable for us, and that He wants to use us. Praise God. I've read somewhere that um, under the laws of uh, physics, only 4% of the matter in the whole universe is visible to the human eye. That means 96% of all the matter in the entire universe you can't see. Maybe that's a good thing. Praise God. Behold, an angel of the Lord, they were afraid, greatly afraid. The angel said to them, Whoa, dude, guys, be, don't be afraid. I believe it's uh, in uh, um, the uh, Tortured for Christ movie, the pastor who uh, experienced all that, he's, he got arrested by the secret police in Romania on a leap year day. And he says, you know, what day is it? 
He said he knew that there are 366 verses in the Bible where God specifically says, fear not, don't be afraid. And so here the angel, he says to them, do not be afraid. The same words that God says to you and I, do not be afraid. Why? For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people great joy. I don't know about you, but there's days in my life where I need some joy. I need to see my wife rejoicing. I need to see uh, my co-workers uh, having joy instead of being downtrodden or depressed or, and oppressed by the enemy. How many know that in this country we don't face a lot of persecutions? But I can tell you from my own experience that most of the stuff that I go through is in my mind. Mental anguish, I think. I'm telling you, we had a brother at the other church. He told us he went to his doctor, and the doctor told him, you would not believe how many anti-anxiety medications I give out. People don't know what to do. But we know what to do. We look to the one who brings the great joy, which would be to all people, not just to the Jewish people, but to every single person on the planet Earth. We need some joy, and God provides it. And this is the reason the joy is available. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. According to prophecies written and spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before, this person, Christ the Messiah, Jesus, lived and was born, fulfilling prophecies. We just recently did a study on uh, all of the evidence of, of the uh, Bible and how it all is true. The name of the book is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. If you have opportunity, get it and read it. It is eye-opening. The, the, just the, the, uh, the, the mind-boggling statistics or ratio or whatever you want to call it, the opportunities, the possibilities of Jesus fulfilling 39 scriptures as one in 10 billion, 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 billion chances. And it was all prophesied ahead of time. And this will be the sign. And here's where we get the first uh, part of the song, a sign. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Why would that be a sign? How many babies were born in Bethlehem that night? I don't know. There might have been more than one. But who is they talking to? Shepherds. Where are they? Shepherds. There they are. Shepherds. What do shepherds do in Israel? What would, if you were a shepherd, what would be your goal in life? My goal in, in life as a shepherd would, would be to provide those spotless lambs that are needed at the temple for sacrifices. That's why they came and appeared to the shepherds. These guys knew what sheep were for. They knew what innocent lambs were for. And it's a sign that the baby, Christ the Lord, is lying in a manger. That's where the lambs were. That's the sign. That's what makes it so awesome. A sign in the Greek, it's semion, an indication, especially ceremonial or supernatural, a miracle, a sign, or a wonder. But the interesting thing is, in Rick Renner's book, Sparkling Gems, this word denotes an act that points the viewer in a certain direction. So this sign, that, and what the 
Shepherds did as they said, let's go check this out. It pointed them in a direction. They went to Bethlehem and they checked it out. Another part of the meaning of a sign is an action performed to prove a point. When Jesus was born in the city of David, according to the scriptures, God was proving a point. What's his point? God's saying basically, I'm God, you're not. And I had said that this is going to happen, and it happened. Just like that. I like how the Bible says, and, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke, and it came to pass. And the glorious thing is, in Isaiah it says, so shall my word be, God says, that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall go and do what I have decided it's going to do. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, Greek, in the Greek of those, how many know that Greek was spoken throughout the Roman Empire? That's why the letters were written in Greek. But the Romans were in charge. That's why Paul was able to send letters. But the reason that those people were in charge is because God prophesied it would be in charge. In Daniel, the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a statue with a gold head and other metal parts. And he's prophesying through a dream. God's telling him the future from his day forward. And what happens is the Greeks took over. And after the Greeks, the Romans took over. And because the Greeks had taken over by, through Alexander the Great before the Romans, that's why Greek was spoken throughout the world at that time. In the business use, a sign described the signature or seal applied to a document to guarantee its authenticity. So when the angel says this is a sign... He's saying God is stamping his seal of approval. God is putting his guarantee of authenticity on this thing. That's how you know it's from God because God's putting his seal of approval on it. It's also used, according to Vine's Dictionary of Greek New Testament words, as a mark used to distinguish a person from others. When God touches your life, he puts a sign on you. It's a sign to your f former friends, if they were friends. Somebody asked a young man in the uh, Teen Challenge program, who introduced you to drugs? Oh, it was a friend of mine. Really? A friend doesn't try to kill you. That's not your friend. That's just some acquaintance. Praise God. But, it's a mark used to distinguish a person from others. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Or we want to see something of God's uh, power. You want to see a demonstration. When Jesus was brought before uh, during his trial, uh, Herod and Pilate, were not friends at the time. But Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee, so he sent Jesus to Herod, and Herod was all excited. Oh, I'd heard about this Jesus. I, I want to see him do a miracle. And, but Jesus didn't do any miracles because that wasn't the sign. It was an outward demonstration that Jesus was there for. It was something internal 
The Jews were seeking for an outward sign. We're seeking for the power in the kingdom. They wanted to see Jesus come in and kick the Romans' butts out of there and establish their kingdom. They wanted to see King David, like uh, you know, the mighty man of, of war, killing people. How many know Jesus did not come to earth to kill people? Amen? <laughs> he came to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Christians aren't supposed to go uh, kill people. Unless you're in the army and that's your duty, you're not supposed to kill people. Can you say amen? Praise God. So they wanted to see a sign. So Jesus tells them, okay, <laughs> well, the only sign you're going to see is uh, the sign of Jonah the prophet. It was in the belly of the well for three days. That's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be in the earth for three days. But God's sign is his power, his love, healing, peace. Many of Paul's letters that he wrote begin with the words, peace and grace be multiplied to you. That's the kingdom of heaven. Of the increase of his government, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, of the increase of his government, and peace, there shall be no end. That's the great thing about the kingdom of heaven. We've been brought into a kingdom of peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of mental anguish, you can go to God and you can have peace. Say, God, I'm giving all of these problems to you. Help me. And you can leave it in God's hands and experience peace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 22, Paul the Apostle writes, he says, the Jews request a sign and Greek wisdom and logic. Okay, so the Greeks, you know, this doesn't make any sense. I remember talking to a, a young man, he says, you know, you Christians, uh, I don't get it. She, a, a guy uh, could murder people and, uh, you know, be a terrible person for his whole life. And at the end of his life, uh, say, God, forgive me and God will forgive him. That's not fair. Well, you're darn right it's not fair, but that's God's economy. God is able to do that. God can forgive anything except for one thing, and that's not believing in Jesus. That's the only thing that will send somebody into an eternity without God is not believing in Jesus. Hallelujah. So the Greeks are seeking wisdom and logic, and uh, they just don't get it because you can't really explain until you experience for yourself what God wants to do in people's lives, how he wants to save you. I remember you know, I, I had the hardest time believing God could love me because I, in my early days, I was messed up. Still not perfect. Ask my wife. <laughs> Praise God. But God is working. Once you get saved, God begins to work on you. Hallelujah. Let's go to the next scripture. Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20. Later, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, sitting around eating. And Jesus pops in the room. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. These are the twelve, or the eleven now, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Several people had told the apostles, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And they go, yeah, right. That's impossible. They're all there mourning. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And this doesn't mean that you cre preach to trees and dogs and cats. It talks about the whole of the human race. Uh, 
as the Amplified Bible loudly proclaims and, and uh, clarifies. Every creature is every human being. Whoever believes and is baptized, and you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but it, the baptism is a sign that you're making a commitment to follow Jesus. If Jesus got baptized, we should too. If you don't get baptized before you die, you're still getting to heaven if you believe in Jesus. Because it's Jesus' crucifixion and sacrifice on the cross that saved us, that paid the penalty. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then he says, these signs, here's that word, signs, will follow those, and this means they'll be your traveling companions. Wherever you go and you tell people about Jesus, you can expect some of these things to happen. My name, it was cast out demons, it was speak with new tongues, and I forgot the rest of the verse. Should have gone to verse, uh, oh, it is next. Okay, we'll push the arrow there. There they are. They will take up serpents, which doesn't mean you do that on purpose. And if they drink any deadly thing, because look in Acts chapter 28, verse 3 through 6, Paul the apostle grabs a bunch of sticks, goes to throw them in the fire, and a poisonous snake comes out of the sticks and latches on his hand, and he just shakes it off into the fire. <laughs> and the people are standing there saying, the Bible records specifically, they're thinking, this guy must be a murderer or something. He must have been on something really bad because now he's got instant karma. A snake bit him, and they expect him to die because some snakes are so poisonous you don't have much of a chance. And nothing happens to him. So they change their mind. <laughs> he must be a god, <laughs> which is crazy. No, he's just a human being, but the protection of God is upon him. And then what happens later on is that the uh, ruler of the area they're in invites them to their house. His dad's sick with a fever and dysentery. And how many know you can die from dysentery, from dehydration? It's really bad. I lost 15 pounds in a week one year because I got dysentery, I think it was. But where it was, it, it was not fun. It took a while to recover. So Paul prays for the guy, and he gets healed. Next thing you know, all the people that were diseased on the whole island come, and they pray for them, and God touches them and heals them because... Those signs, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Those signs accompany us wherever we go. You can lay hands on sick people and pray for them and God will heal them. Not you will heal them, God will heal them. Pray in faith. It's fun to see people get healed. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And of course, the gospel is good news. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming. And this word is the, uh, the second part of the song, sealed. We'll get to that later. Confirming or sealing the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. In other words, God's putting his seal of approval when you and I will step out in faith and Tell people about Jesus, pray for the sick, and God work. Hallelujah. Which brings us to the second part of the song, signed, sealed, and delivered. So sealed, Jesus answered them in John 6, 27 through 26, 26 through 27, not 
27, 26. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards all the time here. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I'm telling you the truth, he says. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What had happened here is Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee, the down in the south part in Tiberias. They uh, uh, have a miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And then uh, everybody goes, uh, they're still hanging out there, and Jesus tells his disciples, go to Capernaum. So they go across the, the water, and uh, it's a big lake, it's far away, uh, but the people knew Jesus didn't get in the boat with them. Anyway, long story short, Jesus comes walking on the water and meets them. They get in the boat. They're over there. The people all realize, oh, Jesus must have gone up there. So they go to Capernaum, and they're seeking Jesus. And Jesus says, because he also prayed for a bunch of people, and they got healed in the beginning of John chapter 6. He says, you're not coming after me because you saw the signs. A lot of people come to uh, churches and, and revival meetings because they want to see people healed. Maybe they need healing themselves. And these people had done that, but then they got fed miraculously. And Jesus is telling them, you guys aren't coming to look for me because you saw the signs, because people were getting healed. You came because your bellies were filled. And then he goes on to say, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. This is talking about laboring for God, doing something for God. Because God the Father has set his seal on him, the Son of Man. Jesus is that Son of Man. Sealed means to stamp with a private or personal mark for security or preservation. It also protects from misappropriation. And it's also a mark of genuineness, according to Strong's uh, exhaustive concordance. So Jesus is sealed. He's got that personal mark preservation that so people know that Jesus is who he said he was no one can take Jesus position from him how many have ever seen those coexist bumper stickers got all the little different religious symbols <clears throat> well Jesus must have the preeminence those like Pastor Wayne says those bumper stickers mean uh, everything's okay except Jesus you can't tell me that Jesus is the only way well Jesus said I am the only way Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Him and God and the Holy Spirit said, let there be light. The whole show, all by themselves. No one else is going to be sitting on the throne with Jesus. Nobody else. Praise God. Because God is good, and he has set his seal. And then he goes on in Paul's letter to the Second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. He, and it's capital H, means God who establishes us with you in Christ. And here's Paul's famous phrase, in Christ, throughout all, many of his letters. You're either in Christ or you're not. If you're not in Christ, you're in Adam. And if you're not in Christ and you're in Adam, you're not saved. And the way to get in Christ is to ask Christ to come inside you, to be Lord of your life. 
So here we are. God establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us. God has anointed us. You are anointed. Say it with me. I am anointed. You, if you've given your life to Jesus, have an anointing on your life, whether you realize it or not. I'm declaring this is from God. You have an anointing on your life if you have received Jesus as your Savior. You can walk in the confidence that God can use you. No matter how feeble your faith is, there's a saying that the devil trembles when the weakest Christian is on their knees because that weak Christian is going to become stronger and stronger because we trust in God and we rely on God. And God wants to use us and, and just express His power through us. Not only that, God has also sealed us. Say, I am sealed. I'm sealed and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Glory to God. God has a guarantee. It's not a money-back guarantee. It's an eternal guarantee. Hallelujah. Eternity is something a lot of people don't think about. Most people go through their day, and I'm as guilty as anybody, just trying to make a living. And every so often, I begin to think about eternity. God, is my co-worker saved? How can I speak to my coworker to get him to put his trust in Jesus and get saved? I'm not there to talk. I'm there to work. But if the occasion comes up, I hope and pray and I thank God. God is going to give us words to speak, to make known to other people, to your classmates, to your neighbors, something about the things of God so that a spark will happen in their hearts and they'll want to know more. Praise God. That's the anointing. And it's a guarantee. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. In Him you also trusted. That's what putting your faith in Jesus is. You trust that what Jesus did on the cross is more than enough to make you more than enough to make you worthy to be called a son or a daughter of the living God. We trust in Him. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel or good news of your salvation, in whom, that's Him, also having believed, you believe in Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The promise is unto you and to your children and to many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you've answered the call, God has the Holy Spirit available to you. Power. And the Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And we'll get back to this word redemption because that's about deliverance. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says that this is a security deposit. When you go to buy a house, you have to put down what is called earnest money or a security deposit because uh, that way it guarantees you're going to come back to the table and finish the deal. And sometimes that deposit is non-refundable. Hallelujah. Thank God that God doesn't uh, refund His promise. Oh, I want that back. Can you imagine God doing that to you? Giving you something. Cause, oh, wait, wait, I want that back. <laughs> you can't have that. God's not like that. God's a good, gracious Father. Like the best dad in the whole universe. I've got 
much, much more for you, God says. Hallelujah. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul writes and he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, because the Holy Spirit of God, you whom, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, the day of redemption and deliverance. Eventually, we're going to get to heaven. We're going to be in eternity. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more suffering. No more temptation. Nothing but the presence of God and the love of God. Hallelujah. That shouting material. Can you say amen? <laughs> hey, hallelujah. Nevertheless, the solid foundation. How many know a good foundation is key to a building staying where it's supposed to stay? I got to work on the uh, Cushing Street Bridge where the trolley goes across downtown. Underneath the ground, I believe there are 8 or 10 feet in diameter, are columns. Most bridges we go down uh, about 80, 90 feet. Those columns are 150 feet deep into the ground because when the trolley goes across, they don't want it moving. Most bridges... You don't see the anchors that hold the bridges there because they're under the ground and they're buried. Kind of like uh, you can't see God, but He's an anchor. And he's, even though He's hidden from our eyes most of the time, He's a solid anchor. Praise God. The solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, we are sealed. The Lord knows those who are His. And that's a quote from the book of Nahum. And I don't remember exactly where, but it is in the Old Testament, Nahum. And it literally says in the Old Testament, the Lord knows those who trust in Him. This is like a paraphrase. Paul the Apostle <clears throat> paraphrased a lot of Old Testament uh, scriptures as he's writing. So some of them are not just actually word-for-word -word quotes. So you get the gist of the meeting, the meaning and then, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's the seal. We're no longer bound by sin. We've been delivered. Hallelujah. Which gives place to the next Scripture, which is Luke chapter 1, verse 74 and 75. This is the song of John the Baptist's dad after John the Baptist was born. And they asked his dad, what's his name? And he couldn't speak because that was a sign that this birth, this miraculous birth was from God. And he couldn't speak until they asked him, what's the boy's name? And he asked for something to write on and it says, his name is John. And immediately the string of his tongue was loosed, the Bible says, and he goes into a song of rejoicing. And this Two verses here is for everyone that believes in Jesus. Hallelujah. God would grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemy, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. Claim that promise for yourself. Delivered from the hand of the enemy. Hallelujah in holiness, to be rescued. This word in the Greek is rohomai, and it's similar to the word sosa, which means to be saved, 
to preserve. To mean in this one, it means to be rescued. I don't know about you, but there's days that I need to be rescued from the thoughts in my mind. Hallelujah. I need to be rescued from conflict with other people because God wants us to live in peace. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. The next verse, John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said that you shall know the truth. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Delivered. Hallelujah. Set free and rescued. And verse 36 goes on. He says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I like that song. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. If you or I stumble or fall, you can get back up and you're still free. You don't have to stay down. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. This word to be free means, according to Strong's Dictionary, to be unrestrained, to be no longer a slave, to be exempt from liability. Hallelujah. How many know that sin causes liabilities? Amen. Sin causes problems. God doesn't want you to not have fun. God wants to protect you from the consequences and the damage of sin. I was listening to a pastor on the radio the other day, and he said, oh, this couple, uh, these two people that are married to other people, came to him and said, oh, pastor, you know, <clears throat> we have true love. True love, he says, yeah, we're, you know, we're in love. True love. How many remember that movie, This Princess Bride, is about true love? Well, these two knuckleheads, they're married to two other people, and they say, oh, it's true love, pastor. He says, guess how long the true love lasted? Two weeks, and two families were destroyed. Praise God. God can restore things though. Can you say amen? It's a liability when we try uh, to do things on our own. It's a liability when we fall into sin. But thank God we can be set free. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes and he says, God delivered us from so great a death and does still deliver us in whom we trust that He will still still deliver us. Hallelujah. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, I think I have these up. Here we are. 2 Corinthians 1.10 He will still deliver us. Hallelujah. Set us free. In verse, 1, in verse 13, Colossians chapter 1, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Can you say amen? Say it with me. I am delivered. I am delivered from the power of darkness. Hallelujah. God has set us free and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God loves you with an everlasting love. It's so awesome. No one is beyond God's reach. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9-10 through 10. They themselves, these other Christians, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols. How many know here in the United States we have idols? 
whether they be sports figures or musicians or they're idols. Maybe it's money for some people. We have idols in this country. We don't bow down to them, you know. Can you imagine <laughs> what God did over in Egypt when he delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians? Ten plagues touched the Egyptian nation because those were ten idols that they worshipped. Can you imagine if they had to get delivered from India? I read somewhere that they have over a hundred million gods. That would have been a lot of plagues. Can you say man? But God's merciful. <laughs> Delivered us, we turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. This is the God that Jesus raised from the dead. That's our hope, the hope of the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to get to see family members that have gone on already before me. Hallelujah. And so you are, uh, when we get to heaven, when it's all said and done, when it's all over, those that we've lost, those that have died and gone before us, we get to see them again. Hallelujah. It's not goodbye, it's see you later. I wrote that to one of my aunts when her husband unexpectedly passed away. I said, dear Aunt Lillian, it's not goodbye, it's see you later. And she wrote back, yes, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Not only that, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. When John the Baptist was out baptizing people, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees come out and John tells them, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. Jesus called them a bunch of snakes. You brood of vipers. But I don't think he was, I don't know. Jesus had a heart of compassion, <clears throat> but he's also the guy that made a cord of uh, a whip of rope and drove out the money changers and overturned the tables and chased everybody out of the temple. Brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? The wrath of God is coming. God is not unjust to be angry. One of the most famous sermons that George Whitefield is famous for, the guy that I mentioned who preached his last sermon September 20th, 1770. His most famous sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it's not what you think. God's not angry at the sinners. God's angry at sin. Because sin destroys people's lives. And God is not unjust to pour out His wrath on the rebellious, people that refuse to trust God. <clears throat> refuse to believe that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I'm the door. Anybody tries to get in any other way, they're not getting in. Jesus is the only way. Because Jesus is the only person that claimed to be God, and Jesus is the only person that ever lived who claimed to take the sins of the whole world upon himself. Jesus is the only person who claimed to be the Creator. Jesus is the only person who raised himself from the dead. I'll say that again. Jesus is the only person who raised himself from the dead. He said, I lay my life down and I'm going to take it back up. 
You guys can kill me. I don't care. <laughs> I'm coming back to life. I don't think he quite said it that way, but <laughs> praise God. God is going to pour out his wrath some. Oh, sorry. Where are we? There we are. Leave it there. That's the last one. Hallelujah. How shall we be saved? How shall we escape the wrath to come if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord himself and was confirmed or sealed or guaranteed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The things that will... Um, verify, if you will, the gospel is things that accompany salvation, deliverance. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to uh, use foul language. I used to steal stuff. No big deal. Everybody used to smoke marijuana and use other countercultural products. And, but Jesus set me free from those things. And he set me on a different path. I turned not only from sin, but to God. And that's what repentance is. Turning not only from sin, but turning to God. Seek after him, the Bible says, while he may yet be found. Call upon him while he is near. He will answer. Praise God. Well, let's uh, close prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.